I feel like in their notes for what Constantine should sound like, the word disaffected appeared. And like, it's true, but not in the way that Keanu does disaffected. Yeah. He just sounds like, oh, sure, whatever. Whereas like the Constantine disaffected should be more like throwing the peace sign and telling people to fuck up. Yeah. Like, isn't he yeah. based off a of sting? This is what I would love to just talk to. I mean, I'd love to talk to everybody about it, but. Have you heard the good word Constantine? <laughs> you heard about our Lord and Savior, John Constantine? I got a whole fucking recap here. Oh my God, Ben, All right. I'm so excited. Well, we're already, we're already recording and I already have everything up here. So, uh, oh my God, your notes for. All the things he's directed are hilarious. Okay. I love it. No, wait, those are my notes. Those are those your are notes, notes, nerd. Those are my notes. I remember now. Okay. Your notes that you yes, made yes, yourself yes, yes, yes. are hilarious. What, yes. completely forgetting things that you yourself did? What are you? Me in every episode of this podcast as soon as we finish recording? Oh, my God. Listen, yeah. listen, listen. I was looking at it and I was like, huh, Ben put a lot of notes on here as to what Francis Lawrence directed. And then I got to the last line and I was like, oh, no, that's me. Um, <laughs> I did that. It is right. always makes for an entertaining listen when you go back and actually listen to the show. And then you're like, oh, yeah, I did say that. And no rec- recall, but yeah. Good evening and welcome to Progressively Horrified. The show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never agreed to. <laughs> Good evening and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the podcast where we hold horror to progressive standards it never agreed to. I feel like we dance around doing podcasts about horror movies that are based on comic books, but largely have avoided it. Well, that's not going to change tonight because this character may share a name with the Vertigo DC Comics <laughs> hero, but he doesn't share much else. It's Constantine. I am your host, Jeremy Whitley, and with me tonight, I have a panel of cinephiles and cenobites. First, they're here to challenge the sexy werewolf, sexy vampire binary. My go is Ben Khan. Ben, how are you tonight? Hey, so I know they made like three Captain America movies and all that other Captain America stuff, but was all of that put together as American as this man responding to a problem by doing a mass shooting with a cross-shaped gun. <laughs> I think Oof. we hit peak America. Yeah. And the cinnamon roll of Cenobites, our co-host, Emily Martin. How are you tonight, Emily? After that comment, now um, feeling a little bit more validated in the questions that I have about this movie's depiction of demons as illegal aliens i mean it feels like something the british invasion writers would come up with as a joke about this shit where it's like oh yeah american constantine he's got a gun that's also a crucifix because fucking america but then they actually did it and why does he wait to use his alchemy power until the very end like why where was that alchemy power the whole time like he straight up did a full metal alchemist like thing with his arms. Yeah, what was that? What was he actually trying to do with that? I mean, he he made the he made the angel appear. Was that his plan? Yeah. The angel kind of kicked the shit out of him like immediately. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of Constantine's MO. That is one thing they did get right. Yeah. Yeah. And our guest, writer, activist, and friend of the podcast, the amazing Jay Joseph Jr. Jay, good to have you back. I feel like I want to do the low 
badly Keanu Reeves. Well, yeah. Doing it better than him in most of the movies. Sorry, Keanu. This is an accent. <laughs> no accent, but this is definitely that like post Matrix pre John Wick lost in the desert for 40 years where Hollywood was so insistent on using Keanu, but constantly forcing him to do things he's unable to do. I actually think it's the opposite. I think Keanu, after he lost Neo, he was like out there just searching for another Neo. Or like, yeah. we just in the ages finally found John Wick. I forget the title of the movie. There's one movie he did in the 2000s. It's him coaching like an inner city Chicago baseball team. I swear to God, this man did Oscar bait Mighty Ducks. What? That sounds familiar. Right? It feels like something that could possibly be true, but I promise you it is. It's like Mighty Ducks, but what if one of the Mighty Ducks gets shot two-thirds of the way through the movie? And instead of Emilio Estevez, it's just Keanu's blank-ass face reacting to it all. Well, he's dead, man. My God. He made so many movies between Matrix and John Wick. I don't know if any of them were. Kind of like nonstop. 47 Rolls, I do remember. That wasn't very good. I mean, we do have The Lake House, which is notable at the very least. Oh, don't even get me started on The Lake House. The time loop movie that makes you time travel between 2004 and 2006. Yeah, I believe you're talking about Hardball. Here's what Hollywood eventually figured out is that Keanu Reeves can play someone who's relatable through his intense world weariness and can sell it when he casually murders an entire room full of special forces. Okay. Yeah, a hardball. You played Connor O'Neill. Terrible favorite. title for the SEO. <laughs> wow, Michael P. Jordan was in it. Oh, oh my what? God, what did he do? Was baby Michael P. Jordan in Oscar Bain Mighty Ducks? Yeah, that's what it looks like. Oh, my God. Amazing. I bet you he's the adorable kid who gets shot, too. I mean, that's who he is in The Wire. Oh, where Wallace at, String? Where Wallace at? Something's got to give? Wow. Yeah. He's the the cute other love interest in Something's Got to Give. Anyway, the point is, this movie tries at points to convince us that Keanu Reeves and Rachel Wise have sexual chemistry. And <laughs> listener, they do not. Absolutely not. Rachel Wise doesn't even have chemistry with her own accent in this yeah. movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, Peter Stormare and Tilda Swinton just fucking come out of nowhere and are, like, at 11. But the problem is, like, the actual leads are at, like, a four. Yeah. And also Shia LaBeouf is in this movie. And- yeah, let me talk about who, who made this movie and who is in this movie, because I yeah. I really had a ball with this one, because we do have, <laughs> as we said, Peter Stormare as Satan, Yana um, <laughs> Reeves, so Rachel Wise, Shia LaBeouf, uh, Jaimon Hansu, who makes an entire character out of talking low and keeping his hat on, uh, Gavin Rosdale, for some reason, um, and Tilda Swinton just coming in and aiming for the fences. According to the writing credits, uh, it is based on the work of Jamie Delano and Garth Ennis from comics. Jamie Delano created Constantine. Mm. Garth Ennis storyline where Constantine smokes himself to death. Um, Based? That is legally based on the story. The story where (laughs) where Constantine has cancer is Garth Ennis's. It is 
much less fun in this version of Constantine having cancer when he has it in the comics. It's very dark. And then uh, it is so the, the story and screenplay is Kevin Broadbin and then Frank A. Capello did the screenplay as well. My favorite information about this movie is that it's directed by the legendary Francis Lawrence, who directed three Hunger Games movies, everyone but the first one. I'm sorry, don't I you mean legend. four Hunger Games movies? No, there's five Hunger Games movies. Wait, did he not direct the prequel? Yeah, and, no. the, and the upcoming one. Yes. The next one that's going to be out. Yeah, he directed the new one, too. That's Wait, correct. they're making yeah. another pre? Wait, they're making a sequel to the prequel? I don't know. I don't know. It seems to be doing pretty well, so probably. Um, well, I, didn't, I didn't know the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes was out. Actually. Yeah, I think it just came out. Once they week? delayed Dune 2, I checked the fuck out. <laughs> but the other things that Francis Lawrence has directed, which I find much more interesting, are music videos for Coolio's See You When You Get There, Ghetto Superstar, Brian McKnight's Back at One, Destiny's Child's Independent Women Part 1, Avril Lavigne's Skater Boy, and The Goat, Britney's I Am a Slave for You. And if you didn't know, that's I Am a Slave, number four, letter okay. E. This music video experience makes a lot of sense because Constantine's apartment looks like the location of every fucking post-industrial music video. But that or that's been not They love that kind of like center frame, steady cam shot throughout the film. Yeah. You could send any Nine Inch Nails video in his apartment. <laughs> well, actually, by you the way. Any Bush video in his apartment. Yeah, Bush video. <laughs> we have a Trent watch. Y'all, Trent Reznor watch. We have a song by Perfect Circle that was co-written by Trent Reznor. This is my new uh, song. Oh, Perfect Circle being in this fucking movie. Is a perfect I, circle, and it's. I had that in my notes. Just how goddamn two thousand it was that they were playing fucking passive by a perfect circle. You know who else? What else? What other movie had a perfect circle in it? Underworld. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. Perfect circle was like was legit though. Like perfect circle in in the world of new metal, perfect circle was a breath of fresh air. It's funny because like. You had all the, the new metal happening that was a reaction or like a, a follow-up to Tool. Well, and then Maynard Keenan goes off and does Perfect Circle. And it's like good, like legit rock. Well, music. I also really like it because it's non-diagenic. So I just like the idea of just walking up to a fucking 2000s-ass nightclub that's just blasting Perfect Circle. And then suddenly it's the club from Blade. Like when he goes <laughs> yes. in... It's the perfect circle when it comes out. There's it's the crystal method. Like, there's a fair amount of this movie that it's just like, hey, what if Blade wasn't as good? Yeah, it's <laughs> kind of a little bit of that, a little bit of, um, like, there's obviously the same influences as Underworld. And then, of course, like, there's a lot of, oh, like, yeah. there's a lot of music video influence in the way that this stuff is filmed. My biggest problem with this movie is that not a lot happens for like the first hour. Yeah, it's like it's like I, I was shocked by how much dead space there is until like the final act when things actually start to pick up. Uh, yeah, like we're going for mood, but none of the acting is good enough to make it go for mood in that first yeah. hour. And yeah. uh, particularly putting Keanu Reeves and Shia LaBeouf next to each other is an experience because. To say that Shia LaBeouf is a maximalist actor, that he's doing the most, that he's acting basically on, like, the level of Ric Flair getting a chop to his chest, like, he's just doing that amount of, like, overacting and, and over-talking, 
And Keanu is doing nothing. He is yeah. just, he couldn't be silent for a good chunks of this movie and it wouldn't really read any differently. If you yeah. love the dynamic between Ryan Reynolds and Wesley Snipes in Blade Trinity, you will need professional help. <laughs> it's, like, it's like he aimed for Blade and got Blade Trinity. Well, I can tell you exactly why that's what it is. Because when I finished watching Constantine on HBO Max, the very next thing it had on Watch Next was Blade Trinity. Bless. What year was uh, was Blade Trinity? When what year did that come out? Two thousand five. Just before Constantine, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to to determine if like Constantine was the last comic book movie where they just did whatever the fuck they wanted with the original material. Yeah. <laughs> went off the, the, before people got serious about comic book adaptations in 2008 and all that. It's uh-huh. really, yeah, it's really this period of comic book movies that existed from 2000 to 2008 that really just ended with the Iron Man, Dark Knight, like one, two genre definer. Yeah. But also the Venom movies. And I know it's the Venom movies because they both have the plot point of a random indigenous person picks up the cursed MacGuffin and just walks their ass all the way to the plot for most of the movie. <laughs> yeah. I had forgotten those movies were a thing. Like, yeah, There's so many comic book movies from this time that are like still trying to they're trying to access the money that was made by Blade and Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, but they don't, they haven't landed on the idea that they should actually adapt the comics yet. They're, they're still on the like, this is an IP and I can, you know, do whatever I want to with it. I, I still think that the Marvel Incredible Hulk movie, the one Hulk movie that's made by Marvel is the last old comic book movie. Right, and yeah, that's true. Yeah. Are, are we talking Ang Lee Hulk? No, post Ang Lee. We're talking okay. the one at, yeah, uh, with Edward, Edward Norton. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Edward Norton Hulk. Yeah. Because yeah, that's that's in the Marvel universe, it's in the MCU, but like it doesn't acknowledge it until after the credits, and they still kind of do what the fuck ever. Ang Lee's is wild. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I will Ang say Lee, that for it. Again, when we talk about unhinged movies. Angley's Hulk very high on that list. Yeah, that's one of those most directed movies. Well, that's that's one of those <laughs> like extremely directed. When I compare Hulk and Incredible Hulk, there's no question in my mind that Incredible Hulk is a better movie. But I'm much more interested in Hulk because they like really went for it. Like thousand percent. Angley was yeah. like, I'm going to recreate a comic book page on the TV. You're going to see like four different things going on in panels on the screen. I was like, fucking hey, eh? like go for it. It's bad, but you went for it. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The story doesn't make any sense. I don't know where the fuck you were going with anything, but like Starlight the ideas tries, are there. Man. The millions like, of dollars that the hundreds of millions of dollars that have been spent failing to achieve the Sam Raimi Spider-Man sweet spot. Well, and we gotta talk about the, if we're going to talk about comic book movies, especially gritty like indie comic book movies, I, the the Crow. Yeah. Oh, this is definitely in line with like, it's definitely yeah. It's also in that vein. Like, there's the influence. I feel like this movie absolutely wears its influences on its sleeves. You've got 
the crow. It sure does love the aesthetic of stuff like Fight Club and Seven. Yeah. Big David Fincher fan, this movie. Yeah, big David Fincher wannabe vibes. The real difference between this and The Crow is that The Crow was made for 250 and this was made for $100 million or something. Like, The Crow was made with, like, the money in somebody's wallet and they yeah. still, like, they did the most they could with that. And this, they did the least with a lot of money. Yeah. It's interesting that you talk about the the old new comic book movies and that because I'm, I'm thinking about like where what are the comic book movies from like the 90s that i thought were really good good being a a, a very subjective well you had batman <laughs> just fucking make all of the money in 89 yeah, that's true. and then that just kicked off the like the pulp hero movie craze that was just like a string of box office flops where yeah. you get like the batshit bonkers wonderfulness of dick tracy but then also like no i remember when the the phantom Phantom spoke the world yeah yeah rocketeer the shadow uh, the shot the shadow (laughs) which um also dark man dark man i don't think we should overlook josie and the pussycats in this category that's true it's good it is good like no if we're talking like three x-men we're looking at like mystery men starring Ben Stiller. Well, the crow and, and tank girl, I was thinking about the crown tank girl, but I think that the, the reason that the crow and tank girl are their own kind of success is because the comics they're based on are mostly vibes. And then the movies, they were like, so let's get some vibes in here. Very. Yeah. yeah lots of vibes. Yeah. Yep. yeah. And, and, you know, and I mean, they were and they're also like, indie comics. Like, yeah. You know, yeah. They're, they're their own little weird thing. We've continued to make those movies in the shadow of, of MCU. You've got, you know, weird things like Road to Perdition and what's history the... History of Violence. Yeah, that's the one I was trying to think of, a History of Violence. Yeah. You like, and other yes, movies are... starring Liam Neeson. <laughs> and theoretically, the film Old, which is based on an indie comic book. That's um, right. Well, it's based oh, on God, a Bond Destiny no, comic book. No, do not get me fucking started on Old. We we got enough to talk about with Constantine tonight. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, we should probably start talking so, about that. You want to get Jay? What, what, Jay, what was your experience with the movie? Had you seen this before? Yes, I've seen this film before. I it was actually the film that made me popular in college. You know, I, I did um, communications theory, which is like basically breaking down how media works and you know all the subliminal messaging and psychology and all that, and because he had brought in little circles, he had gotten all these free tickets to the premiere of Constantine. And uh, he had no interest in it. So she, he just passed it off on me and told me to make an event of it and bring people to see the movie. And so I just kind of used the school's email list or whatever, sent it out to everyone. I had like, we had about a dozen people show up and I, I invited my mom to the film as well. We had, so it was like a good turnout. And I had kind of, kept my head down in the college until that point. I was in a weird situation where first year I had a lot of friends and a lot of those friends ended up transferring out or just dropping out entirely. And then, you know, a couple of years of just like nothing happening, complete boredom. And for whatever reason, this movie Constantine made me popular with the people that showed up and they were talking about it for days afterwards and talking about time for the last semester. And I'm watching this film now and I'm like, I wonder what the fuck it was about Constantine back in 2005. That made it so people actually enjoyed this movie. I, I don't know. I can't tell you. I and just I remember the experience around it more than it was like a party than the actual film. All I could really tell you about the film was the final act. And rewatching it. Oh yeah. 
I, I realize now that's because nothing happens until the final act of the film. Yeah. It's really just a lot of preamble till you get to Stormare. Yeah. Well, and there's there's some fun stuff, but like the, everything's so disparate. It's all the, very it's a very scattershot movie. And like this whole thing about picking up the spirit of destiny in Mexico and just this guy like coming into LA, I guess, and doing whatever like that whole thing does not need to be in the movie like there was nothing the the sphere of destiny all it did was like give people zodiac killer fucking glyphs on their arm and then that like and then it had to do with mammon like they could have done anything else with that like i don't know like i feel when did hellboy hellboy was after this Ooh, no i feel like hellboy had Ooh, that's a, Ooh, that's a good did... question when was Hellboy? Hellboy fucking ruled. Yeah, the first Hellboy was... Um... 2004, so that was the same year. Oh, wow, okay. Huh. I, I, gotta, I gotta say one thing about this about this film, Costume. Yeah, I I know look, I, maybe we had already started recording or just before we started recording, it was mentioned that this film felt very 2000, but I actually feel like it has that very 90s film structure to it, especially in context of the kind of uh, uh i can't even like call her love interest without laughing uh where like constantly suddenly cares about someone beyond himself because he finds this interesting woman and he just has like no chemistry with at all yeah and it felt very by the numbers 90s you know this is what's supposed to happen in the film it, that came out in the 90s it really yeah. reminded me of blade and the relationship with the female lead in blade it was very Blade-esque, yeah. Even, even Blade had a little bit more going for it, I think, in terms oh, yeah. of that. Oh, well, no, Blade has a lot more going for it. If this was a comedy, <laughs> yeah. that would just be his no, strange This is a movie with things to discuss. The discussion of Blade is, boy, sure is pretty cool how Blade fucking rules. Yeah. Now, yeah. Now, Blade, Blade is easily the superior movie, but like, I'm thinking all the real boring thrillers that were just all throughout the 90s, and there's always a girl that the guy had to save, and the guy was always like, a heart-hardened detective or whatever Constantine's supposed to be here. Yeah, so die-hard situation. You've got the little kid sidekick, everything that made... And so I was wondering when this movie, when this film started the production, and the original screenplay was actually written in 1997. Uh-huh. And I think that starts to make the rest of the film make a lot more sense to me. Because, was David the know... Hater ever involved in the writing of this movie? <laughs> <laughs> This feels like the kind of movie that David Hayter would have done a draft of yeah, at exactly. some point in the 90s. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, uh. and this, this weirdly, it's, I feel like this movie has the thing that people complain about comic book movies now having, which is they just introduce characters that you're supposed to care about, but they don't tell you why you should care about them. Like Beeman and Chaz and Father Hennessy. They don't really tell you what their deals are. Hennessy, they just like, Kind of let you figure it out as you're going. And they Beeman, you're like, oh, I guess I'm supposed to be upset that he's dead. I liked Beeman. Like, he was charming, but that's the thing is you really need to sell that character with the quality of the character if you're going to have this bit character be memorable. Like, there's a lot of movies that have really great bit characters, but you have to have them be memorable. It wasn't like give the each these characters enough real time to talk. Yeah. When he has this death that's like, like he's the important mentor character. Like he's like his death is 
has the gravitas of like he's Constantine's Mr. Miyagi, right? And like, yeah, it's just not in this film. He's we don't know what their relationship is other than like he's you know his man in the chair, as far as we can tell. And he's fucked up, he's the one thing, and he can't get one. I mean, yeah. that's the that is the one thing, like one of the few things they correctly adapted from Hellblazer comics, which is if you're John Constantine's friend, you will die. Yeah, I mean, unless I you're Chaz, of... where you'll live in the comics, but you will die here. But he was an angel. Um, he became an angel. No, he was in ladies and gentlemen. Scene. I know, I know. I wanted to see, like, there's a couple sequels that I was really interested in happening that did not ever come to, like, not even were suggested, as far as I know. But I would love to see the Chaz Kramer movie about Chaz Kramer. Going around and being, Disagree. you know, I... I should tell you that currently Constantine 2 is in production. Oh, it is in production? Just to put that out there. It is theoretically in production right now. Okay, because um, I saw... Starring I Keanu saw Reeves as John production Well, if it's current Keanu Reeves, then I'm kind of excited because current Keanu Reeves yes. is like, I would love to see that. Yeah, and... it is being co-written by Akiva Goldsman, who... Yeah, is, is responsible for a lot of the Star Trek reboot stuff that's going on right now. So, I also I really want to see the swole Chaz Angel, like swole <laughs> fucking Shia LaBeouf. The first stinger. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I'm being a like, little I'm worried about how much you want Shia LaBeouf back in this franchise. Shia LaBeouf has turned a corner for me. Like when he started, when he did introductions, I was like. This motherfucker is crazy, and let's—he's like this—he's like Brad Pitt crazy at this point, and let's go. Like, let's see what I think that he can go crazy. I don't know what else he's done. I don't know if he's done like problematic things. Well, then he started he's, doing he's, comics. Like, I've actually followed because I—I I don't know if we're the same age. I think we're pretty. I'm gonna say we're pretty close in age. I, I'm talking out my ass there, but I remember watching him since what was it called? Even Stevens, the show on uh-huh. Disney Channel or yeah. whatever. Oh hell yeah, yeah. I, I remember. Even so, Stevens. yeah, uh, holes. So, well, I've, I've kept tapped into him, and he's definitely passionate about his art. Often his art only makes sense to him, but he sure, Pat, he sure, he sure does seem to like what he does. And the second something doesn't interest him, be it a project or a genre or whatever, he's just out of there and switches to something else. It seems. Yeah, I remember those six months the... when he was really into comics and just started showing up at comic conventions and being a douchebag to people. Uh, oh, oh I, or when he stole, uh, just ran up, stole a Daniel Klaus comic and mm-hmm. made a movie out of it and didn't credit him. Or oh. him. I didn't know all that stuff. I just knew that he was a weirdo and I thought he was a delightful <laughs> weirdo. But apparently no, unfortunately, not. look, we uh, we look, we have Nicholas Holt. OK, OK, we got so the Holster. So, OK, so is actually my brother's age, which makes a lot more sense to me. My younger brother's age. Yeah. And that makes sense because my brother was like a big fan of movie Holes, which is like one of his first feature films, Shia LaBeouf. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Holes was pretty good. I, I feel like Shia, he played a, he played the sidekick in Hollywood for a long time. Before, before Constantine, Indiana I think Jones he was like the sidekick, sidekick in like iRobot. Yeah. He's the, he's the sidekick you know, in the bad Indiana Jones movie. Yeah. Yeah. He was Optimus Prime sidekick in the Transformers movies. <laughs> that's where I think sidekick. that's where he yeah. got the most stink. Yeah. Like Shia, Shia's stink really ac- accumulated around that film, I feel. You know, I think like a lot of that is Shia LaBeouf being the sort of maximalist actor that he is, like really worked well opposite 
a giant CGI robot that nobody could actually see when they were filming. He's fine acting against that. He's acting at that level anyway. So, like, I think that worked in his favor. Oh, yeah, no. Honestly, the problems with those movies is less Shia LaBeouf and more that Optimus Prime is a face-ripping psychopath. Yeah. I mean, we're already traumatized enough about Optimus Prime as a culture. I'm not even going to say that was post-9-11 Optimus Prime. I'm just going to say that was Michael Bay just, like, shooting prisoners in the head like Optimus Prime. Oh, yeah, the, the, the very Ura Optimus Prime, Ura Transformers. The Transformers 3 is a scene where the heroes are totally fucked. Decepticons are going to kill them all. And then Optimus Prime swoops in from nowhere and just starts blasting people and then tells the Autobots, and I quote, kill them all. Yeah, that's further than I made in the Transformers films, I gotta say. I, I actually haven't seen a single Transformers film after the second one. After the after I the fucking monkey robots, I was kind of out. Mm, I, mm. After the first one, I was out. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. The, you I didn't mean, miss anything. Yeah, the, the second that Bumblebee pissed on... John uh, Yeah, Totoro. My, my friend... My right, you see Totoro. that and you're like, Totoro, what the fuck? John Totoro, you are in Do the Right Thing, John Totoro. Yeah. The thing about Michael Bay, like, it, it, it's always hard to call him out about it because it's so generic, but he always uses, like, these racial stereotypes in it. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't feel like he's coming from, like, a meme-sturted place. It feels like he thinks he's invited to the cookout, but he's not. He thinks he's down, but he's he's not. <laughs> yeah, I feel like yeah. there's less racial animus in his heart and more that his entire identity is just based on movies and shows and comedians that did racist stereotype jokes he's and got, so it's the only language he knows michael bay is kind of like everyone else we're talking about keanu reeves and shia buff where despite all their problems it's difficult for me to dislike them oh absolutely because that's the thing michael bay not a bad filmmaker because yeah he'll throw you like a fucking transformers the last night but then you'll also get like a pain and gain or an ambulance pain and gain i i admitted that i bet i liked Painting Game more than I probably should have. Yeah, it's a good movie. Painting Game is one of those movies that I was like, I don't know if Michael Bay knows that this movie is funny. Like, right, right. He knows that these people are horrible <laughs> and that he knows that it's funny, which somehow makes it even funnier. I don't know how that works. But I, I the racist stereotype stuff, I wonder if like he made his bank on bad boys. Then he was like, well, I'm just going to keep doing that, but without Martin Lawrence. Like, well, that's what I think he's doing. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. it. Yeah. It was fine when I did it with Martin. Is Why isn't it fine now? Yeah. I thought uh, I was allowed to say this. I thought I was cool. So, Constantine, should we, do, should we dive into uh, what this movie is actually about? Yeah, let's sure, do I it. I imagine this will be brief. Uh, I'll definitely be quick. I will say, though, I am going to skip ahead towards the end of the podcast because I do feel towards my recommendation because i do feel this is a bit of an important one uh, mm-hmm. my recommendation honestly truly is please read hellblazer comics yes specifically jamie delano's run or garth ennis's run but hell just pick up some classic hellblazer i certainly read a lot of peter milligan's run when that was going on and you know there's been a lot of some uh, cool recent comics with him and justice league dark but nothing really beats that og hellblazer so that is my recommendation is Hellblazer, which when it was at its best, which was quite often back in the day, it was a horror comic like absolutely none other. Yeah. All right. 
And he's based on Sting. He's based on Sting. Except in this movie where he's based on Keanu Reeves, which is why they cast Keanu Reeves. Right. Anyway, our movie begins with the Warner Brothers logo just dissolving into hell, which feels mm, a little on the nose for 2023, but okay. As he said, we got good old Jesus Spear as our MacGuffin. We got a guy in Mexico who's just finding the Spear of Jesse an unexplained Nazi flag. And, you know, he gets hit by a car, but it's okay. He turned into CGI. And when you're CGI, you can block cars. Meanwhile, in L.A., we're walking, we're opening on an exorcist. And fucking, if you've seen any movie exorcist, yeah, you've seen this one. We're like straight into the crab walking. Yeah. Next, we got a six-foot-tall alcoholic baby who can't exercise demons, so he calls in American John Constantine. If you watched our episode on Evil, you know how much I love this movie opening with a pre- with a Catholic priest just being like, fuck, I suck at my job. You do it, secular person. But I think it's important to mention that this is Pruitt Taylor Vince, who is a character actor in like eight billion movies, including... Yeah. I think he was in a couple of the movies that we just watched. And he was also in Jacob's Ladder. He's very character actor. Yeah. He uh, has Keanu's a- here to smoke cigarettes and not do an accent and be an edgy 2000s anti-hero because he calls the demon asshole. <laughs> I love uh, that he doesn't have to do an accent in this movie because Rachel Wise is doing an accent in this movie. Yeah, she like, took all the accent points. Yeah. Oh. Uh, Look, Rachel Weisz is doing an American accent in this movie, and it's not good. Like I said about Keanu's last time, it's a rolling stone. It doesn't stay in one place for very long. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. But anyway, Constantine is able to exercise the demon into a mirror by calling it a prick and giving it the finger. You know. It's signature move. I cannot emphasize how much of this movie feels like it was written by a 15-year-old boy. There's also this delightful scene where, like, he puts it, he put put a cigarette on the dresser. He's just like, "Oh, my cigarette went out." And it's like, you can relight that, bro. Why are you sad? Yeah, I feel like his goal is to exercise the demon quick enough that he can get back to his cigarette before yeah. it burns out, and he doesn't because the demon is complicated, and they don't really tell you this in the scene. It's difficult for you to pick that up, except for that he will then say it in every other scene after this that, yeah. this that this exorcism was wrong and complicated which they could have saved the trouble of him doing in every other scene if they just made it somehow clear in this scene yeah, yeah. but they did it so this movie likes info dumps which is, brings us to rachel weiss who's playing detective angela who while the movie doesn't really explore this, she is introduced as just having the supernatural ability to always kill somebody on duty. Oh, wow. I didn't even notice that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Figured, oh, yeah. That's how she's introduced. Just always knowing where to go to kill the people that need killing. But she, they, they kind of like come back to it eventually in the, the later stuff when she's like confessing about her sister is that like she oh, yeah, can also sense that's... demons. And so somehow, as a cop, that means that she always gets the cases that in which demons are involved, and she has to end up shooting somebody. Uh, um, she is LAPD, so yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And also, the best part is uh, the priest tells her that God wants her to kill people. It's part of yeah. God's plan that she be a cop who kills all these people. So anyway, the, Angela, 
we're not going to dive into that at all anymore. But uh, yeah, that's a pretty fucked up introduction. Then. Also not great is her twin sister, Isabel, who jumps off the hospital roof because uh, the devil's son is trying to possess her. And it's real dark and moody because we zoom right in on her eye flowing up in the pool because we're oh so edgy because it's the mid-2000s. Yeah, a lot of death mask fetishization of these characters, like this dead woman in a pool all pallid. and It's very 19th century, some of the death worship going on. Yeah, well, I mean, it's very 2000s. It's very, like, post-90s, like, edge 2000s and late and late 1800s kind of sucked for the same, a lot of the same reasons. Yeah, it was the turn of the uh, century. People got fucked up, way too moody, and we fucked around in continents we shouldn't have been in. I mean, the moody part was pretty cool. Like, all of the literature, the moody literature Look, was pretty cool. Lord Byron would have fucking loved MCR. Nobody is doubting that. Oh, yeah, I know. He would have been in MCR. Meanwhile, Constantine has cancer because we're doing Deadly Habits, but not as good. Read Deadly Habits. <laughs> also, this fucking oncologist. Hey, y'all clock this, like, the worst fucking oncologist that Constantine has. 20 years ago, you wanted to die. Now you died and wanted to live. How ironic. The fuck kind of bed- like, bedside matter is that? Well, there's a rudeness to Constantine, and so I think that that rudeness, like, begets rudeness about him. You know, people don't want to put up with his shit. I feel like they're going for that kind of, like, again, to use another 2000s anti-hero, they're going for Dr. House. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But Keanu can't do Dr. House. There's times in this movie where they, the script calls for Keanu to do witty banter. Keanu doesn't do witty banter, y'all. Well, he did witty banter in the end. Like, when he started acting in the action parts, he was doing some pretty good deadpan witty banter. Like, I thought it was fine. And then, but before, like, all his line reads in the first, like, three acts of the film were so, like, they were almost, they were so wooden it was almost, like, meta. Like, I felt like there was some sort of greater purpose for his his wooden line reads. So, yeah. yeah, he's dying of cancer. And now we get the next two two new characters. We get post-industrial supernatural Q, because this Martin. is also a cult James Bond, who's going to give him all his new demon-busting gadgets. I was wondering, why did Constantine have a Q? Yeah. Why because because it's a fucking James Bond movie. Because it's American James because American Constantine is also magic James Bond. Yeah, because he's a spy, I guess. Look, we're but James Bond shoots a lot of people and we're really able to wrap our heads around that as well. well. See, that's a that that that's more of that like nineties-ness I was feeling from it. I'm pretty sure it was a few years before. Uh, no, it was the same. Um, I'm sorry, it was like the same year as Casino Royale. So James Bond hadn't really changed its own formula yet. Yeah. Uh, oh, great! Everyone movie, was like Royale. a replacement James Bond. Yeah. yeah. Oh, let's not forget the movie Triple X that had a fucking spy in a suit get murdered in a Ramstein concert as their way of being like, "This ain't your daddy's spy movie." James was- Bond's 20th Century. Ramstein and Vin Diesel is the spy of the 21st century. I didn't remember Ramstein being in that. But in that's so 2000. 
They kill off a James Bond or Stats in a fucking Ramstein concert. It's like, oh, I can't find shaking cocktails here. Honestly, that's literally it. And then they're like, all our spies wear tuxedos. They suck. We need someone cool with tattoos who does extreme sports to be a spy. You up to save America, Vin Diesel? Oh, sorry. Xander um, Cage. Xander oh. Cage? Holy fuck. Man's name is Xander Cage. I forgot it was Xander Cage. It could have been worse. It could have been X versus Sever. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but now we get the character who I will never, ever forget. The gloriousness that is Tilda Swinton as Gabriel. Her audition for the ancient one. Yeah, uh, I guess. Just gender personified. God. So who do you think did it better, though? Her or Christopher Walken? Yeah. Oh, question. I mean, They're very different Gabriels, though. Who made me feel intense feelings of gender euphoria? Definitely Tilda. Yeah. Yeah. She had I mean, like a the really outfit good... that she wears in the in the final scene in the Oh, with them fucking cowboy pants or whatever. Her weird fucking... like asylum drip with oh. like all the fucking like all the Her hands the... wrapped like a boxer for some reason. And then she had bracelets, like fucking hospital bracelets, like a like a oh, whole yeah. set it's... of hospital bracelet bangles. What the fuck? Yeah, like again, if the whole movie had been at the level that Tilda and Stormare were at, it would have been a fucking classic. Yeah. I, I don't think there's like any doubting the talent that they had in the movie. Like, like they got some, even Keanu. Really, look, even, but Keanu, yeah, that's the thing. Keanu and Rachel Weiss are great talents, but they weren't good. Right. Like, like Keanu is so, like, if you put Keanu in the exact right thing, then he's fantastic. Yeah. Um, you put him in, in John Wick, you put him in Matrix, you put him in Bill and Ted, and, you know, there's no denying that he killed it. I don't know. I just don't know what it is. I, I think it's because he's one of those actors that was very popular in, like, the 90s and early 2000s where they just kind of played themselves. You had Keanu, you had Denzel Washington. Are you that- saying Denzel isn't the equalizer in real life? <laughs> no. I mean, I think, like... This movie, the way it's written, like you know, they showed up and they they just come to work and they just play themselves. That's who they are, you know. That's just barely any change. So, so the project really has to kind of fit them, rather than them reshaping the fit the project. Look, you know how most actors, there's you know, you hear about like Will Smith has his own writers, like Ryan Reynolds has his own writers, and whatever project they sign on to, like his writers will go in and they'll like rewrite the dialogue to make sure it's like proper Ryan Reynolds dialogue. Right, exactly. Yeah. I yeah. feel like Keanu probably has that, but instead of rewriting he just has a guy that's just like crossing out like two thirds of all of the lines. <laughs> well, like I feel like and, and it's really apt that you were talking about the prophecy because I feel like this movie is, is a lot like that in a lot of ways and that you know you have these two characters that are playing angels and demons that are playing them at a different level than the rest of the movie is happening and the rest of the movie has a real protagonist problem of this character of like oh yeah but why <laughs> why do we care yeah. especially rachel wise unfortunately like 
Constantine as a character in like comics does not have this issue, but the version of it Keanu puts up on the screen very much does because like he delivers so much of this dialogue that should make you say, that should make you laugh while going, John Constantine, you dick. It just makes you go, <laughs> the fuck's wrong with this guy? Yeah. For no reason. Yeah. Like, this is mean. This is not a charismatic John Constantine. And this yeah. is also Keanu's so charismatic. Where, well, we learned Keanu's motivation is to do good things so his soul can be saved and he can go to heaven. But it also doesn't work because Tilda Swinton Gabriel also then immediately tells him, hey, what you're doing hasn't worked and won't work. And his response is, I will change nothing about my actions or behavior. <laughs> so you're right. Like, so we're given like a reason for why he does what he does, but also no reason to think he'll succeed. Um, yeah. But I will say it does just tell it. This scene does involve Tilda, an incredibly androgynous Tilda Swinton, just bending, just like leaning over someone and whispering, you're fucked, which I'm not going to lie, unlocked a lot of things when I watched this at 15. Yeah. Yeah, I could listen to Tilda Swinton tell me I'm fucked all day long. Yeah. Um, Anyway, baby priest man character actor has psychic powers that let him read newspapers and determine which ones are plot important. Sure. He's he's, uh, surfing the web. Yeah. This is why we need to be careful of AI. Meanwhile, Angela's getting prank calls from demons while Constantine is just chugging drugs at a gas station and Looking at really blatant Chevy product placement. I know. <laughs> Y'all clocked that Chevy bill. Yeah. This this movie is brought to you by Chevy, Apple, Quiznos. <laughs> we got a big Quiznos in the background. Oh yeah. Oh God bless. Hey, that's the 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 grease that keeps the Hollywood wheels turning. But anyway, his good times of dying from cancer are interrupted when he's attacked by a demon made of crabs and bugs. But John defeats the swarm by cleverly letting it get hit by a van. That, well, he, that, that, that creature that is a soft, that's just something that they came up with for the film? That based on anything? They might have just like grabbed like the name of something from like one issue, but whatever it was, it wasn't just like, yeah, I'm here to just fuck you up in a gas station. You ready? I'm ready to throw hands, John Constantine. You know, I actually had to rewind that scene because I was so confused. I'm like, okay, so we see him swarmed by insect, but at first I'm like, what is that? What is that? Is that a crab? I'm like, yeah, that's a crab that's on top of him. Yeah, like, what it is is that we needed way more scenes of him either doing cool action supernatural James Bond stuff if that's the direction you're going, or more him doing clever John Constantine trickaroos. Because what we actually get for the most part is a really stock exorcism scene in the beginning. And then really no major action until the very end with the cross gun. You know what? The more I think about the music video history of this director, the more the movie kind of makes sense to me. Because I can't see it as an overall film, but I can see it as a series of music videos strung together. Yes. I mean, it is very much that way. Especially like the sort of evanescency hell stuff that goes on. (laughs) A lot of people getting wet in their clothes. God. It's not Um, a plot that has a lot of natural forward momentum. It's a lot of characters being like, 
and now I'll do this thing or go to this place. Yeah. Like, if this movie showed phone calls, it would show the hello and the goodbye. Yeah. Yeah. Not a lot of cutscene in this movie. <laughs> but yeah, like, so what should be either a cool fight scene or a trickery do just ends up being like, oh, good. The bugs got hit by a car. Demon's only weakness, a car. Well, there was also the screaming beetle, the Amityville beetle. Yeah, Which, that's right. Uh, if it sounds like nails on a chalkboard to you, that means you're a demon. So I guess I'm a demon too. <laughs> it's, it's the deal. So after yeah. that, we got Shia, Shia LaBeouf. He info dumps a little bit about Papa Midnight. He's back. He pops up every half an hour in this movie. Yeah, yeah, he does. Like clockwork. Getting his own info dump might make you think that Papa Midnight is important in this movie. Spoilers: He's not. <laughs> he is a character from the comics. He is played by Javon Hansau, which is perfect fucking casting. But I do enjoy when the bouncer goes, no, Shia, you're not magic enough. So he doesn't get to be in the rest of the scene. Yep. It is in hindsight. Him walking through this bar does just feel like, oh, this is a precursor to like all of the John Wick walking through a cool bar. While yeah. Better I mean, this scene is incredibly underworld to me. Oh, oh yes. my God. And, and this mean, is where we've got a perfect circle playing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we want to know when to start hitting that, listeners. Yeah, that's the Trent warning right there. We also get the foreshadowing that, oh, he's constantly sighing, and he's the one soul the devil himself will come up to collect. Wink, yeah. wink. Yeah. I, I want to mention something about Constantine dying. I I think with the lung cancer, I know it's based on a storyline, right? The moments where, where John has these sudden fits with his lung cancer that just really over the top and, and on display and then always leading it back to the cigarette. I couldn't help but think how big the truth campaigns were back then. And it's just when people had gotten like big tobacco out of Hollywood and all that stuff. It, it almost felt like that was so the film was trying to moralize against all this other background of like angels and demons and all that stuff. Well, That's the big the... Mor- morality lesson. Don't smoke kids. A hun- I mean, a hundred percent. And so much of that you can see in one of the big differences in the ending to the story is spoilers for the end of our recap. John Constantine gets cured of his cancer by doing a selfless thing and saving his soul. And to show that he's learned to value his life, he quits smoking. Whereas in the comics, he very intentionally tricked a bunch of demons and fucked everybody over to get his cancer cured. And then his response was to flip everybody off and just go right back to smoking a pack an hour. I guess it's joining the small little twist there, but being cured of his cancer is meant to be a punishment. Yeah, because he didn't get to go to heaven. The devil was like, no, 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 no. He died after doing a truly selfless act. And Lucifer was like, no, if I cure you of your cancer and leave you down here, you'll fuck up soon enough. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, we've got all this great stuff left in the movie of like absolute random shit that goes fucking nowhere. Like the guy from Bush sticking his fingers in his mouth and going finger licking good. Yeah, he delivers that so badly too. It's so uh, uh. like I don't know if it's bad. I think it's great. I think it's perfect. Mm, like, it, it should be. Bun. A... Oh, he sticks like three fingers in his mouth when he does well, it. Like, he's, he's, he doesn't lick like his it, fingers. Yeah. He doesn't do anything. He sticks them in his mouth. It's like what the yeah. fuck, Gavin Rosedale? It Bro. wasn't like a sensual lick. It wasn't graceful. It was just like I can stick my whole hand in my mouth. A, a, yeah, he sticks a truly his hand. British man who has never learned to savor food, obviously, does not understand the concept <laughs> of finger licking. Like he's yeah. just like, 
Uh, stick it, this is why this is, right? This is what happens when you, with fingers, right? Well, with potatoes. It's great. You've got Keanu Reeves blowing cigarette smoke at an actual spider. Yeah, that's fucking rude. That's seriously yeah. rude. I mean, um, we so got I him doing a classic refusal of the call. All sorts of stuff. Oh, man. I do love how we got the classic, like, no, I will not help you. Immediately gets Hell Visions. I will help you. <laughs> oh, actually, wait. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on. Hold on. Wait. Hell is real. Demons are here. And uh... yeah, demons real. They deal some <laughs> shit. Also, cats have exist in hell. Apparently just a thing. The movie just declares yeah, they're, they're just nothing to explain or do anything with. Just, yep. Cats are hell beasts. Move along. But they're good because they're good because he says they're good because they're. Yeah, they're he, said they're, he, said, he says it's a good thing because they're like half in, half out. I think there's a play on the superstition that cat can see the spiritual realm and yeah. similar. You I know. liked it better when they did this shit in the mummy. Yeah, I liked it too. <laughs> we get to see how, and it is apparently an average day in LA in a yep. July in the 2020s. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I was like, it's just LA. An average amount of fire for an LA summer. At the beginning of the movie, I was, you know, we started in Mexico because the movie's like, we're in Mexico now. And, and not only do we need to tell you you're in Mexico, but we're also in a dilapidated church with a bunch of people like rooting through bottles and shit. And then a car drives by with, oh, what's that on the screen? What is that that the subtitles tell me? Mexican music. And so, you know, they might as well have everybody in sombreros and maracas. But the important thing here. That I'm getting to is the yellow filter because then they go back wherever Constantine shows up in the, like the ring scene that we see also yellow filter and so I'm like where are we now are we still in Mexico why do we have a yellow filter and I'm like oh it's LA okay right yeah that's LA honestly <laughs> probably the actual best scene nope nope Stormer. we get one of the best <laughs> scenes of the movie where baby man priest with newspaper powers tries to do a newspaper power on Isabel's corpse, but instead he gets cursed into thinking he can't drink any liquids while he's actually drowning himself in liquor. And this scene really fucking stands out because unlike pretty much everything else in the whole movie, this actually feels like something that would happen in a Hellblazer comic. Yeah. Also, this actor something very this does so, happen in a Hellblazer comic. This so is the desperate. one thing. Yeah. Oh, he does a great job. This is a very like chilling, mortifying scene. I this is actually well done. This is real Hellblazer shit right here, and it's kind of the only time in the whole movie. And this is a great actor too. Like whenever I see him oh, in yeah. movies, I'm always like really stoked because I know he is typecast to be a weirdo every single time. But <laughs> also he's such a good actor. No, I miss talking about it when it happened, but like. There's this bit the first time that the detective Rachel Wise goes to like visit Constantine as at his house, and Constantine is like, Fuck you, I'm not taking appointments, and then sees like a bunch of shadows fly by his window. That he like goes out to help her, and all the lights go out, and they go across the street to the random church that's sitting out there, and inexplicably, Constantine like lights something on fire. And it scares away all the demons, which like when it happened in the movie, I was like, what the fuck just happened? And apparently everybody else felt the same way because the answer is they cut the explanation for what happened because the the thing he lights on fire is one of the things that Beeman gives him at the beginning. 
which yeah. is part of Moses's shroud, which is why it scares all the demons away. But we don't know that because they cut the line where he says what it is. So like, I feel like that's just really, it really captures the essence of this movie that like <laughs> this thing happens and you don't know why, because they didn't feel like the explanation was important enough to keep in the movie. Yeah. And yet we get a whole scene and of yet- Shia LaBeouf talking about how cool Midnight Papa is. Papa Midnight is. Oh, Papa my. We okay. get another info dump where he comes and tells his whole fucking backstory over Midnight Pancakes. Wait, so about- wait, wait, hold on. Before, sorry about the sign of that. Just Please. before we jump away from Jeremy's point, was it a church or was it a botanica that they were in front of? I think it was a botanica because it was like every, all the demons were affecting everything but that. So right. they had to like get close to it. That at least made a little bit of sense. But like, I he thought just, it like, was he just, just like a pawn shop and... that had a lot of Jesus stuff. Oh, yeah. I had a big Virgin Mary in the window, which I think is like the essentially important bit. Yeah. You can't put out yeah. her, oh. her I, think, I think what they're trying to do, the reason I ask is I think what they're trying to do, albeit like doing a bad job of it, is just representing these different faiths that make up Los Angeles. Because you have like, you have the Botanica and then you have Midnight's Club and then this reading practitioner. And I think the problem is like everything in this film lacks a real sense of identity. You got the Clippers fans. What I will say is that uh, this movie. I think does a better job of voodoo by really not engaging than the last two movies we've talked about, which, uh, you know, Angel Heart and Devil's Advocate, Devil's Advocate, which are both yeah. like voodoo. That's devil worship. Like also casting Juan like, Hobbs um, out instead of Delroy Lindo. Yeah. <sighs> I still can't get over fucking Devil's Advocate. Just fucking having Delroy Lindo in there is that we're not going to notice. Yeah. For 30 and seconds, crouched him- in the basement, killing a goat. Like uh, He wasn't there for 30 se- Like He had several speaking lines in that movie. He was like an important character. He's one of the more, like, that's the thing about, like, Papa he Midnight. He was an important character in the episode of that movie that he was in. Yes. Yes. Yes, he was. But, you know, that's that movie is several episodes long. But, like, that's the thing is that his character was memorable. Although I think for a lot of people think that that's a different movie that they're watching. They may think that they were watching Constantine and they were actually watching The Devil's Advocate because of that scene. Because it was so different than every other fucking thing in the movie. But yeah, this is all a really round. It's like not only do we doing American Constantine, we're doing Southern Constantine. (laughs) That could be cool. That could be. We we don't have to call it Constantine. We call it like Jim Franken jam or whatever <laughs> okay no we're doing jim frank and jam <laughs> you said it we're going with the first thing out of your mouth jim frank and jam southern magician trickster it has to... <laughs> still played by constantine or still, still played by, by, by Keanu Keanu Reeves. jim yeah. frank and jam thanks get me a design <laughs> that's my uh that's that's the next sequel is jim frank and jam uh, that's what Chaz Kramer tra- changes his name to. Jackie O'Lantern, oh, he- Halloween detective. <laughs> that's so good. Oh, uh, no. Uh, Keanu info dumps to us that there's angels and demons and heaven and hell, but they got a truce. So there's half angels and half devils. And it was fucking smarmy cunt Gavin Rossdale who killed Keanu's priest friend. And then also, the liquor store employee is an angel? Yeah. It's real? What the fuck? And it goes nowhere. 
yeah yeah like that was a very jacob's letter moment where yeah. they're like oh frightened to die and hold on that's where i was like is that a metaphor like anybody does good is like half angel or something and then that was not clear at all because like the half breeds whatever which i hate are also like supposed to be special you know like they're sort of in disguise but then like gabriel the fucking archangel gabriel is a half like yeah like this again the lore of this movie is they're playing very fast and loose they're playing real fast and loose so anyway after like 30 minutes or whatever of fucking boring investigating and books of hell and windows shit so good it's very (laughs) windows play a big part a big part of this movie hinges on nobody wiping down the windows for several days yeah Uh, we get supernatural q tells us our big bad is mammon the son of the devil who's here to do evil demon stuff and then he gets murdered by flies because even the one thing american john constantine can get right is to get all of his friends killed well, didn't you think it was fucked up that, like, at first it was a fly, but then it was bees? And I'm like, his name is, it's like, sounds like some sort of demon joke where the demons are like, haha, your name's Bee Man. Guess how you're going to go? It's yes, so I, was hoping, I was hoping he'd just be like, oh no, crabs again. Yeah, if it was crabs. That would be interesting, at least. It's like a swarm of bugs and always like two or three crabs. Yeah, like, I, I but the fact that he was covered in bees just felt like, like everybody in his uh, elementary school probably were like, "Bee man, bee man," and then maybe he like tried to own it. And I'm then hoping now he that died like, covered in bees. I would love it if John Wick Five is just like John in hell fighting his way through, just like John Wick Drive Angry. Yeah, yeah, they're just yeah, it's like John Wick just fighting his way through hell. Yeah. I mean, anyway, no, uh, Rachel White decides that she wants to see hell, which is really just the movie's excuse to put her in a bathtub. And uh, I know it's just a fucking excuse to get her wet because Keanu just had to like fucking stand in a puddle while Rachel Weiss has to get fucking drowned in this bathtub for several minutes. Yeah. And then he also like I fucks her for a while. Which oh, is yeah. Not. But it works. She gets to see hell and we get to see Rachel Weiss in a wet bra. Everyone wins. Also, she has magical detective clue finding powers because she goes back to where Q died. And immediately finds Gavin Rossdale's magical demon coin. Yeah, and she can automatically, like, do the cool thing with it, with CGI. She's got the Batman detective vision where she just, like, and then it's like, oh, I found the glowing item. So that's the key item. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, now things get real 2000s and very not on comics. Because Sean Constantine builds a magical cross-shaped gun. Oh, yeah. Angela also got yeeted. Is the yeah, only she, way I can describe it. Yeah, she was, like, super yeeted through several buildings. Angela got yeeted. She took She's off, in Ravenscar. She took a cool necklace and then got uh, used an elevator very wrong. Yeah. She used an elevator sideways. <laughs> She got in an so, elevator while it was still closed and went sideways. Oh, yeah. So we got to use cross guns to save her. So Constantine goes to visit Gavin Rossdale, does a big punchy and threatens him with Christianity until Balthazar reveals the MacGuffin, which doesn't affect anything in the plot. <laughs> so true, bestie. So Constantine does what this character has always been known for. 
shooting guns wildly without a plan until people give him what he wants. Yeah, and then like apparently Manuel, the the holder of the Spear of Destiny, is like has amassed an army of possessed <laughs> people that like. Look, I'm not gonna lie. I kind of lost the plot around here, but Papa Midnight and John Constantine do some kink play, and Keanu gets MacGuffin vision. Yeah, I think that Gabriel is supposed to be possessing those people, and I think there's supposed to be the rest of the people from the from the mental institution, which is why she has all of their bands all over her arms when we see her. I think Uh, nobody says that at any point in the film. Um, or actually, so no, sense. hold on. They do also say that a lot of those people are just all the half blood demons that are running around. And, uh, and yeah, that's why the holy sprinkler water works on them. Yeah, they, yeah, that's right. They do. I don't know what happened to all those mental institution folks that this Gabriel stole all almost, the bands off of. This but, movie almost did Dark Souls level storytelling through character design, but. What if it was dumb instead? <laughs> and I don't know, like, the idea of holy water, I feel like, loses some of its oomph when fucking Chaz can just bless water. Like, just make well, water he puts, holy. Like, a sac- he yeah. put a sacred artifact in the water and then, like, Oh, the water yeah, I guess he did saturated. that super cross. He put one of the crosses you throw in Castlevania in it. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He put the, yeah, that was, it was, it was, the cross did all of the work. But this, yeah. is, this is a big redeeming moment after being the sidekick. You know, he's the one that comes up with the brilliant plan to stop all the demons, stop the army well, of Papa demons. Papa Midnight yeah. is like, you should bring him with you, John. Like, he's ready. And I'd like to think Papa Midnight knew, like, no, he's not. Yeah, Papa Midnight's like, gonna, gonna be funny when he dies, though. God. He just, and the wild thing to me is, John gets the big, crazy, holy shotgun. And they just give him a normal shotgun. <laughs> You'll be fine. You'll be fine. It's all right. So the big like holy like cross gun fight scene. I remember this watching this as a teenager, thinking this was really cool. <laughs> but the problem is I hadn't seen Blade yet, and John Wick didn't exist yet. And I've now seen Blade and John Wick exists. And with both of and with both of those in mind, I gotta say this scene actually feels really weak next to those. Well, yeah, I mean, you gotta learn, you gotta walk before you run, right? Yeah. He doesn't fight. Right, but that should have been a thousand demons going up three. the stairs to Montmartre, which is when he did John Wick Four. So yeah, yeah, like it's like I just kept wishing for, like it doesn't have that fun kineticism of the Blade Blood Rave. And yeah. I just kept wishing for like it to be crazy ass John Wick fight choreography. Yeah. yeah. And it wasn't. <laughs> that that scene was missing a lot. It was just there to shoot down a lot of people. It yeah. feels like an executive was like, he should have a gun that's also magic. And then they were like, Well, I guess we have to write a scene where he uses a magic gun. There's like I'm kind of starting to get some Minecraft vibes here. Because, like, he crafted the gun, they crafted the water, the, like, holy water, right? And also, cats can see, can, like, defend against creepers. I feel that that's that's all, oh, that is my observation. And so, thank you for It's a good observation. Long. Thank you. I mean, you. it has a real text, text-based, text like, adventure feeling, too, that it's, like, use cross on water. 
yeah. yeah. Do not use cross on water. Use okay. Use shotgun on barrel. Use cross on water. Got it. Okay, did it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Angela gets possessed. It's fine. No big deal. It's a little win, but we don't have time to celebrate this little win because we have to celebrate the big win of Shia LaBeouf getting smashed into everything and dying. Like up, up and yeah, down. Gabriel, and up and down. Gabriel murders him without actually showing up. Gabriel murders it's, him while yeah. invisible. Yeah. Gabriel doesn't uh, even doesn't even care enough about Chaz to like deliver a one line. She just yeah. just cold murders him. Pretty great. And then, you know, Keanu does his summoning circle tattoos on his hands. It looks really cool. I have no idea what he was trying to accomplish. I think it makes Gabriel appear because he's, he's like, you yeah, got to show yourself. It's like, okay. The well, problem is they have to establish rules or any of this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I'm like, but you're right. just like, I, I want Gabriel. <laughs> Gabriel's here. He's wearing that incredible outfit that is so much gender. Also, there's, we, there's some feet stuff. So if you like feet stuff, this means that you got some of that going on for you. Oh, this uh, movie has a lot of good celebrity feet pics. Yeah, they, they really they really pull in close on Tilda Swinton's feet in this scene. It's yeah, it's, and not just yeah, her Tarantino levels of of not uh, just her feet, yeah. <laughs> her feet on Keanu's face. Yeah, but anyway, it turns out Gabriel real real cray cray because he thinks that if he lets Helen invade Earth, then that trauma will make everyone good enough to get into heaven. Well, it's it's. It's he, Gabriel doesn't think humankind deserves God's love and that anyone who actually survives the demon slaughter is deserving or yeah. something like that. <laughs> Gabriel's just trying to do a big purge. Yeah, to, basically. To it's the purge. Yeah. The purge. Gabriel's like, you guys are a bunch of Nepo babies. You should have to pull yourselves up by your bootstraps to, <laughs> uh, <laughs> to get God's love. Um, can Boomer oh, Gabriel... Everything's pretty fucked until Con- John Constantine heroically slits his wrists. Yep. It's not a line you, you get too often in these things, but heroic, <laughs> heroic wrist slit. But it's um, very dark. Uh, make of it what you will. And now we get the best scene in the movie, the devil played by Peter Stormare. It is literally Diabolus ex machina. Where the devil comes in and just fixes all of the plot. Yes. Including the cancer. He's like, son, go home. <laughs> like Angel. I'm the one that's gonna fuck angel. up this world. Yeah. Which I is very similar to the prophecy, too. Like the whole conceit of the prophecy that is showed up in the very last like five his, minutes of the movie or whatever. His, his discussion his with, with Gabriel is great. Because Gabriel is like, you fucking demon. Just starts calling him all the old bad names, and he's like, "Oh yeah, <laughs> like this stuff." And Gabriel's like, "I'm gonna fuck you up," and goes punch him, and it doesn't work. And he's like, "Uh oh, guess, uh, <laughs> guess somebody doesn't have your back anymore." And then Gabriel falls not to hell, but to L.A. Just as bad. It's the there's another one of these dumps. angel movies. I I find it upsetting how often we watch these movies with angels, and I find myself going. This was explored better in Dogma. <laughs> yeah, like a lot of these things in these movies with Satan was like all they were explored much better in Dogma. I will say that another John Constantine movie sequel that I'd be interested in 
maybe a different kind of movie, but where Gabriel now has to like figure out how to get a, a bank account and a credit score and like rent a car. <laughs> um, I feel like what you're describing is the Nicolas Cage film City of Angels. Uh, yeah, that's the true. Sequel I would want to explore is John Constantine having to deal with the ramifications of having giving the Spear of Destiny to the LAPD. I feel yeah, like that might not point. have been the best call at the end. Well, I mean, we have some, maybe we have some narrative symmetry because of where the spear came from. <laughs> I see what you did there. I'm like, I'm not going to connect those dots, but yeah. I, I, I do think, sadly, some of the best moments in the movie come in like, in these final moments, Gabriel and Constantine, though. Yeah. And also Keanu's oh, not yeah. acting. Like, so, the, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When Constantine gets punched, when Gabriel gets punched, that was great. Yeah, well, <laughs> Gabriel, I mean, Gabriel's just like, Tilda's, Tilda's trying to get Constantine to like sin instantly. The devil's already already cured Constantine of, of his cancer. And it's like, you know, you're going to fuck up if you live long enough. And Gabriel's essentially already trying to get Constantine to sin again in that moment because she's like, oh, you want revenge. Why don't you come and shoot me? Why don't you do it? I mean, <laughs> He truly takes that punch like someone that has spent eons fucking around and for the very first time in his life has been made to find out. <laughs> yeah, and I but really my favorite appreciate part, like Gabriel's immediate like like justifying and they're like, oh, you've learned something now. You don't want to take revenge yeah, against me. And that means I did something good. I should be an angel again. Okay. The best part though is the it's also like, very last thing we see Gabriel do, which is just kind of walk backwards back into the pool, mm. which is just being like, okay, I guess Gabriel wants more swimming time. What were you saying, Jay? Well, I was, I was going to say that that right after uh, Constantine punches Gabriel, that's like when Keanu gets his like one one liner that lands in the movie. He says, uh, that's called peeing. Get used to it. That's so yeah. Funny. Like I said, like I feel like whoever wrote this just wrote it for those final fifteen minutes of the movie and nothing else. Yeah, like there was definitely a, a huge difference in the kind of just the portrayal of the characters in the end. And Tilda did like sell that like just abject shock and horror of like, <laughs> what the fuck yeah, just Tilda, happened? Tilda looks like someone who's never been a hit and is like. Pain hurts. I can't Why believe nobody you shot me. Tell me anymore. So tell much me pain. <sighs> so um, you made me bleed my own blood. Exactly. <laughs> nobody makes me bleed my own blood. <laughs> so I, this I, movie, I think it's got a lot that's fun, a lot that's well shot, interestingly directed. It's got some great it. supporting performances. But I think overall, and again, and I think the the realness of it, I think what's aged well is how real all the locations and sets feel in an increasingly green screened world. But I do think it's ultimately let down by a meandering plot and lackluster performances from the leads. Yeah. I, I do wonder like how much of some of that performance is them and how much of it is, is direction. Because I like... Reading, there's this interview that Peter Stermayer did with the AV Club where he talks about, like, the fact that 
the devil's outfit, what he wears as Satan in the movie, is his idea. Um, That's incredible. The design, like the all white suit with the bare tar coated feet. Holy fuck. That apparently like the director's vision for what the for what Lucifer should look like was leather trousers, bare chested and a dog collar with spikes Uh, and tattoos uh, all over his face, which like, I mean, that's pretty two thousands. He could have just borrowed all those things from Gavin Rosdale. I'm sure. Well, that's what it is. It's that's an incredibly two thousands design. Whereas Stormare's is absolutely fucking timeless. That visually shows both the characters, former, majesty and a holiness while also visually depicting his in his the way he he what's the what what's the what what does tar do uh, stickyfies burnifies um, tarifies i don't know tars? corruptifies tars? whatever tar does it tar yeah. stuff just yeah the contrast it's, it's a good visual metaphor yeah and also like having it be tar I thought was really interesting. That's pretty because, cool, yeah. Yeah, because like usually you have both. They talk about sulfur and brimstone, right? You have the all these. Uh, and a lot of the, the demon. That great visual of it just dripping down before you and hitting the floor before you even see him. Yeah. And it is a unique, of all the Lucifers that we've seen, it is kind of a unique Lucifer that we've, you know, of all the movies that we've watched for this. Like we have the Al Pacino, we have the Robert De Niro. We have um, Viggo Mortensen. Viggo Mortensen, and I feel like this one is the closest to Viggo Mortensen. Yeah, but it's also the one that is the like. It's like if Al Pacino was playing the Viggo Mortensen. Well, it's the Lucifer. one. Well, he, he's not trying to be a sexy devil. Yeah, but he is trying to be a classy, fancy devil a little bit with his yes. like, white suit. But he does have like a a lot of this sort of mob boss gravitas. Yeah, like this is this is a devil who delights in people taking a shot at him just so he can go. Do you know who the fuck I am? Yeah, yeah. I still think the best Satan goes to Black Philip. I mean, in terms of just like subtlety, Stormare feels the most better to rule in hell than serve in heaven. Yeah. Where he's like, hell is hell, but it's my fucking hell. Yeah. I'll talk about some other Lucifers in my recommendations. Tom Ellis Power Hour. (laughs) Oh, yeah. also, we're basically done with the recap, but we do have Angel Shia LaBeouf at the post-credit scene, which makes no sense, but, you know, at least, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I I think it's interesting to think that theoretically, uh, this is the same because theoretically it's all happening in the vertigo dc universe that theoretically this is the same lucifer that we see gwendolyn christie portraying in sandman and the same lucifer that tom ellis is portraying in lucifer so i actually really love the idea that all three are the same being or aspects of the same that actually goes so fucking hard and also, like in in Dante's Inferno, the devil has three faces. One is beautiful, one is not, and the other one is wait. What's the third one? Sad. One is blue and crying. One is like red and angry and monstrous. And I think one is supposed to be beautiful. Maybe that's just because like there's always. But Gwendolyn Christie and Tom Ellis are so beautiful. 
I know, but Tom Ellis is the sad one. I mean, oh, in, that's because he has no actual comics, chemistry with his love interest. Like, same in comics, they have Lords of Hell. So there's like Lucifer, and then there's like these different aspects that are very like, yeah, and that's how, associate with Satan. The, and that's how the selling your soul to multiple devils works in the comics. But yeah. again, this is definitely a much more Hollywood take where, you know, he's become a better person who doesn't smoke. With his cool gum. With his, Did he have the gum a whole No time? cigarettes, more guns. And he's just gonna... Oh, and he explicitly, you know, if angels fuck around with hell, he'll take care of them, but he's more after just going after hell. Whereas... I feel like the comics take a much more like angels as almost aristocracy take where they can be just as big of bastards. And it's more about just protecting the little guy, wherever the little guy is from the more power from like powerful assholes, which will always angels will always be fucking powerful assholes. Yeah. Yeah. They will all always be looking down. Yeah. Like there's a lot that's like, for as much as it's trying to be like, ooh, we're edgy and dark, it's also a very child's idea of like a like or like an early teenager's idea of edgy, because so much of what does make Hellblazer truly a comic that pushes the envelope of storytelling gets completely sanded away. Yeah, I mean it's barely there. Hellblazer is a completely different beast. Yeah, I, I mean, mean talking is... about Garth Ennis portrayals of religion like a lot of the stuff in this is a little closer to preacher than it is to hellblazer yeah absolutely yeah oh yeah honestly that's a good point like hell he i can't imagine they were familiar enough with comics to even be intentional about this but you're right this character does feel like it owes more to jesse custer than it does john constantine absolutely and like also i kept thinking when they're talking about half breeds that's what i kept thinking about and i'm like what Wait, no, that's a different comic. Like, was this is this a reference to the thing that like I can't remember what it was called, but it was the thing that gave a Jesse Custer the voice of God. The- I wish I could say that this movie was like, oh, Good. it's you know, it's a bad <laughs> adaptation of the comic or the character in the comic, but it's still a really good movie in its own right. But I really can't go quite that far. It's an yeah. enjoyable movie for sure. Do we want to talk about the, um, the, yeah. <laughs> um, if this movie were a solid half hour shorter, it would probably be a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. If we had more There's time. There's a lot for of like, as little... space in that second half hour of the movie. Yeah. For as yeah. little sense as it makes, it might as well be 90 minutes. Yeah. So do we want to talk about the, uh, our questions? Yes. With this one? I do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, yes. Mental That's illness, not great. Um, yeah, not great at all. Yeah. The um, only thing we get is that mental illness is actually people having visions of ghosts that their sisters don't tell their parents about. If you've ever dealt with suicidal ideation, you are going to hell, and absolutely nothing you ever do can ever change your. You know, for the crime of hating yourself, you have to be tortured for eternity. This movie takes a hard stand on Catholicism was right about everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's like the main driving force between the. And I'm sitting here, I'm thinking about the movie, and you know what dawns on me? I, I joke that Keanu Reeves is trying to find something after Neil that, you know, he had this going on. He had a bunch of other projects. He wanted to 
do Spike Spiegel and the Cowboy Bebop movie. But I think probably for the, the filmmakers, and especially for the studio, everyone was trying to search for like a replacement for the Matrix. They wanted before comic book movies said that was the thing everyone wanted wanted to make. They wanted to make another Matrix film. So you had films like Equilibrium, you had yep. Underworld, you had the One, etc. <laughs> and I think Constantine is very much that. And and part of you know what made the Matrix so great for people was the kind of world building and they they based it very strongly on Alice in Wonderland but also you know the developments on the internet and all that I think that's kind of what Constantine was going for where they base their world building entirely on the bible and entirely on like catholic tropes and all that and the reason I think it, it failed is because they they relied on that so heavily that they felt like they didn't have to really explain it to the audience <laughs> you know yeah you just, you just kind of assume this is how everything works you know like blessed city water becomes holy you know there's there's a spear that pierced jesus and that's somehow going to lead to the, the birth of the antichrist etc and it also uh, makes you a cg like cow killing monster that is immune to cars yeah yeah uh, so you know when it comes to the thing about constantine slashing his wrist so that the devil can knowing that lucifer will come to collect him so that he could bargain with him I think maybe the movie thought it had a shortcut in introducing I, Constantine's mentor at the very beginning of the film. But yeah. They at no point made a real strong connection between, look, this is kind of the factual roles of the world that this is based on Catholicism and the Bible, et cetera. It was all very. Doctor Strange would have been a point. way different movie if Cumberbatch also needed to slit his wrists in order to do his make a deal with Dormammu. <laughs> well, and that's the. I'm just saying, thing. that's the guy. It's like. I'm not sure it's a good movie, but it is full of like stuff that kind of makes you go like, ah, well, you couldn't do that nowadays. Yeah, it's interesting. Like they have this hard stance on suicide, but unless the suicide is a selfless act of self-sacrifice, which is like that's really complicated. But that's again, yeah. I mean, especially since like we get the impression that the sister's death has something to do with the plot with the spear. Which yeah. would mean she's killing herself so that she cannot be used as a tool to bring the son of the devil into the world. Which does, in fact, make that then a selfless sacrifice. So why is she in hell? Yeah. Right. Like, like it's, it's great. I, I don't want to, like, second guess the faith of the filmmakers, if any, right? But it's like, I think Hollywood in general is, is very kind of, if not atheistic and agnostic as it's kind of like default stance. Because... I, I think the default stance of Hollywood on anything is very kind of middle of the road of the least people possible, you know, yeah. and make something that's broad and appealing to a lot of audiences. And I think religion is often the same, right? Sometimes it will run away with its ignorance, especially towards indigenous practices and Jewish beliefs and Muslim beliefs. But for the most part, it has like, like this kind of inoffensive approach to religion. So I think its approach towards Catholicism is pretty disingenuous and you know just kind of based on what you might might have like just taken via osmosis growing up rather than any sermons actually attended or any understanding of the bible it's interesting because i played this horror game series recently that's been you know it's been a viral indie hit called called faith and mm -hmm. for something it's, it recreates this atari aesthetic and for something that's like just a bunch of basic pixels and anime and rotoscoping animations it tends to be extremely scary but i think even as a parallel to constantine and what constantine is in this film that reimagines him because in fate you're playing a priest who's 
basically laughs in his face after a failed exorcism. And he has to redeem himself. And I don't want to make it like too deeply theological here, but I think that, you know, Constantine has a kind of fundamental absence of God because it's just not considered as a plot point until the very end when you have a very cliche scene of, of Constantine ascending to heaven and then the devil rips his cancer out of him, right? And mm-hmm. in faith, you never get anything like that. You never get anything like representing uh, anything angelic or like that. But I think faith has the idea that the good acts that the priest is doing are just his hard work against the forces of hell or whatever. That that God's role in the game faith is just to test your lead character, who I think is also named John or something like that. And, you know, he overcomes his struggles and that's how he proves himself as a truly virtuous holy warrior of God. But Constantine goes with something which I think is closer to teachings of the Bible. But Constantine is going for something that's more again in that in that concept in that in a very 80s 90s action movie concept of you literally have to trade a life for a life in order to that to be reasonably good and anything and i I think that's why so much in constantine first of all i think that's why a lot of the lore falls apart with the movie and why it's just kind of making stuff up as it goes and i think that's why these moments just kind of don't land because it's not informed by anything really yeah the there's there is a um a lack of effort, you know, of, of, there's certain points where they're like, oh, well, and everyone knows that, you know, like holy water bad for, yeah. de- for demons, good for, pe- you know, like, or whatever. But it doesn't discuss anything specific. Like it, it also int- introduces all these other ideas that confuse the situation. Like there's a hell Bible <laughs> and the hell Bible gives us the You might think the point. hell Bible sounds like something that'll be important. But it isn't. No, it's just there to be like of the Bible. Yeah, got extra verses that were cut. Yeah, the Bible. It's just like the Snyder cut of the Bible. Yeah, the Snyder cut of anything is the hell version of it. I gotta say, that's true. That's true. Are you saying you don't want to watch two versions of Rebel Moon, Jeremy? You know what? I'm sure Rebel Moon is fine. At least it's not another Justice League film. I mean, let's see. Is this movie feminist? We have two women characters, both played by Rachel Weiss. It does empower. It does let Tilda Swinton put on an absolute powerhouse performance. Yeah, I guess. But not not as a woman. Yeah, I mean, no genderless no. character. And the rest we have. Let's see. Literally demonized the mental illness and don't let the accent slip. An officer, don't let the accent slip. Yeah, and she is objectified for the purpose of being objectified. It's so much so that the main character makes him takes a beat of conversation to objectify her. He, he does, and it's the first of a few times they try to have like this flirtatious chemistry, and there's nothing. Yeah, nothing. It, the characters have no fucking sexual chemistry. Yeah, I'm gonna say no. It's cringe. This movie is cringe. Not. I say. Yeah, it is cringe, which is the opposite of feminist. Okay. Uh, but it stands. Yeah, as far as uh, social justice, different people of color, I mean, we can obviously, Keanu is, is not just a white guy. He is. A- I'm going to go ahead and, without looking it up, say Jaman Hansa was not paid enough. Yeah. And did not appear enough for... Ha- no. Ha- for... The amount of personality that he is given while he's on screen or that he is 
exhibiting while on screen. Like he's really he's really milking that hat for all it's worth. For all of the exposition that we get, we do not need to get any exposition about how he's a cool dude. Like you can walk into that, like I could start we could start that movie cold in that club and we go to that room and we see that dude with a cigarette. We know that's a cool motherfucker. Yeah, I'm like, hell yeah. I want to talk to that dude. (laughs) Yeah, I I love the bit where he's like praying over John before he's leaving and John's like, fuck off. Like, Yeah, and then he just keeps praying. It has so much more personality than most of the movie. Again, because it's in the third act. Like the third act of this movie, pretty good. And (laughs) him and Keanu have chemistry together. Yeah, that the closest the we get to like banter is between Midnight and Constantine. Yeah, I keep going back to this thing about the music videos, where I think if I were going to represent Los Angeles's diversity in a music video, this movie is something that I would do. Right, like you have uh, yeah. all except the killing a ton of people scene, but you know, <laughs> um, you do have Keanu, who's like he's got a mixed background. You do have the Latin characters. You do have the kind of uh, black guy who runs the club you go you, you know and you have the chinese family that's exercised in the beginning of the movie and all that um yeah. you know Filipino, so it's got yeah. i feel like i'm painting a very 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 broad image of los angeles like an advertising campaign then i would think of something like this again it's like it's like the religion thing i don't think it has anything specific to say i think it just cares more about the aesthetic than anything in terms of the story or the writing yeah, it's uh, it is definitely like, look at all the flavors of God in Los Angeles. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's nice. only it's nice and then it's not four. friends where they pretend like there aren't any people of color. Like in in Los Angeles, there are people. Uh, unfortunately, I think like everybody's sort of underserved by the script and by just the film itself. Like nobody, people have very little personality, and the characters that do have very little screen time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, and at least it's not Predator too. Okay, <laughs> I can agree that it's not it, Predator it, too. Yeah, yeah. No, no doubts about that. It is the Danny it Glover is a movie does that not appear in Predator this film. too. Yeah, would Danny Glover made this film better? <laughs> Danny Glover is Papa Midnight. Or Danny Glover is John Constantine. I don't know. I'm not. That's why I did not say that. Yeah, I would say like Danny Glover is the cop. John Constantine saying, "I'm too old for this shit." Danny Glover yeah. is Grandpapa Midnight. <laughs> Danny Glover is, is Gabriel. <laughs> that actually sounds pretty fucking inspired. Yeah. It's a very different take, but it's hey. I would be very interested seeing how that would roll out. I mean, that really leaves class, which um this movie is generally just a little confused in the way that a lot of movies are of like, yes, this is this like beat up ass old apartment, but the floors are really nice and it has this great like 40s clawfoot tub in it because I guess all like really <laughs> shitty apartments have giant bathtubs like that I would just I would fucking love to have this tub in my much nicer house than what they have in this yeah tub. but uh, it's a real I don't du- know. evil Movies... dead rise situation here where it's like apparently this building is old and shitty but also and it's a bowling alley too like fucking dude lives in a bowling alley why like, is it a bowling alley <laughs> I don't know. It's crazy. Why is that bowling alley? It's, Why? Because you can have all of those fucking like machines back there, and then they start moving, and it's aesthetic as fuck. So, That's like, like the... I want a, a reason, or like a, at least a like, oh yeah, B 
Beeman's family just owned this fucking bowling alley. Something like I, I don't know why. One, they're in a bowling alley. Two, apparently the apartment where he goes to drown Rachel by is, is like connected to the bowling alley because they run <laughs> from her drowning and having her vision into, you know, the bowling alley. Yeah. So maybe the bee and bee man is bowl. He's bowling alley man. He's bowling alley man. That's <laughs> just a thing. How about his movie? Man. Yeah. This movie feels entirely like scraps from other movies that somebody just like pasted together they were like yeah, yeah. let's let's have this and this and a little bit of this it feels like yeah it definitely feels like an editor was given like five hours of footage and be like cobble this into a movie yeah five hours of footage filmed by three different directors yeah with yeah very different visions for this film yeah i mean and then speaking of i mean our, our one other question is about sort of lgbtqia <laughs> representation which there's none explicit but uh, as ben said Gabriel and, and gender is a lot. Yeah, Gabriel is very gender. I mean, there's some real fucking non-binary finery going on with Gabriel. Absolutely. I mean, that is just like a gender queer. I mean, just I mean, even just subtextually and visually, like the androgyny of the gender queerness of it is, is sure shit's stayed with me. I'll tell you that. Yeah, yeah, I think that was what the biggest thing that the movie had going for it. Gabriel dressed like they just came from like Muay Thai, like yeah, but stole everybody's hospital bands, <laughs> or just went to like a million different clubs, and then you know they were old enough to drink. Yeah, the design really feels almost like like a fighting game design, where it's like there are a lot of yeah. things we don't yeah. have to justify any of them. We're just yeah. Why would like our pants were like. like the cowboy pants? Gabriel wins, but it was all just Positive so great. Wins. Yeah, where's Gabriel as an unlockable character in Mortal, Mortal Kombat? He's coming Cowards. after Omni-Man. Okay, good. <laughs> I mean, DC characters are in uh, Mortal Kombat, so let's, uh, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just want Tilda Swinton as an unlockable character in Mortal Kombat. Just, just the actress Tilda Swinton. And then she's like in all sorts of different well, forms. Like The, the actor like... Jean-Claude Van Damme is a character in this latest one, so... <laughs> Of course. Really? Yes. Jesus. But he already had a fighting game. That was Street Fighter the movie, the game. This yeah, is that's better. That's true. So yeah, I think uh that kind of well, and then there's Bush. The band Gavin Rosdale's band was called Bush. I don't know if that's feminist or LGBTQIA, but actually there's not a lot of I don't think there's a lot of like LGBTQIA representation in the band Bush. No, um, neither do I. Yeah. So do we feel like this movie is worth seeing? Do we recommend people check it out? For Tilda Swinton alone. And um Peter uh, Stormare. Yeah, Peter Stormare. Much like the prophecy, I think you should just kind of go to those scenes. Yeah. I yeah. think legitimately, like the last half hour of this movie is pretty fun, but almost like again, like the prophecy, like uh Devil's well, not less so Devil's Advocate. Devil's Advocate was had fun stuff throughout but like like the prophecy i feel like if you were to just watch the like last half hour of this if you were to just find some youtube clips of gabriel and and lucifer like you'd really get most of what there is it's not don't feel like it's worth the two-hour price tag yeah yeah lots lots of visuals not much plot yeah a lot of carbs yeah but confusing visuals (laughs) yes (laughs) yeah 
that don't track all the way through. Yeah, you no. don't have to explain the plot in a music video, you know? There's definitely, like, yeah. interesting shots here, which, again, makes sense from the music video background. Yeah. I mean, you can watch a Wood Kid video if you want some interesting shots. Hell yeah. Those videos <laughs> fucking rule. <laughs> oh, my God. If you haven't seen Wood Kid videos from, I think it's the Golden, it's the Golden Age is the name of the album. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and there's, like, they have the three videos that are sort of in, like, a narrative order, which is Iron... Run, boy, run, and I can't remember the third. The name of the third one. Yeah, I'm drawing a blank on the third one. I think it's, it's something about love. I love you, or something like that. But that's the one with the the priest and like the whales and everything. But yeah, if you want to see like somewhat some cinema photography, those videos are where it's at. Yeah. Um, Hell yeah. So what I did uh, my recommendation for Hellblazer comics. Yes. Yeah, uh, Emily, did you have a recommendation? I had a couple. One was Sandman, which has also a fun, like they kind of did the one lesson learned from Constantine, the movie that was applied was, you know, having the Gwendolyn Christie Lucifer, which is fantastic. And of course, you know, more Vertigo stuff, which is, and Sandman is a lot more, the show is a lot more, like it feels more like a Vertigo comic than any of this movie does remotely and their version yeah. of constantine who is a female constantine it's joanna constantine is uh i think legit pretty impressive and yeah is, you know she gets oh, the yeah. john constantine story from sandman which I is yes. one of the more there. solid stories in that first that first arc of sandman it, it's such a different look but it's still such a striking look with a love more than her yeah I also, if you want a nice movie about redemption, trying to save yourself from hell and trying to avoid just shitty angels and demons, all dogs go to heaven. That's yeah, <laughs> similar. Sure. <laughs> sure. All right. Okay. That's a recommendation. Jay, did you have anything you wanted to recommend? Anything else? <laughs> <laughs> Go watch Silent Hill. Go watch Blade. Yes. Book of Eye. Underworld. I feel I'm like, I don't know that any of those movies are particularly good, but they're more entertaining. <laughs> I guess if I would want to go for something with a similarish themes to Constantine, I probably would go with either Book of Eli or Logan. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. No, if, if you want the kind of don't give a shit superhero at the end of the world sacrificing his life for the next generation slash slash female energy in the film. I think those two movies about cover it. Book of Eli, I think, is also interesting because I like I don't think it has like I I I think it's similar to Constantine where it doesn't really have a religious message either, but I think it does understand its source material a bit more than Constantine did. Um, yeah. In terms of that. I'm not I'm actually not super familiar with the actual character from comics. I think my only real Hellblazer book actually came from B, but I have been reading Spirit World and I've enjoyed that a great deal with um Constantina's kind of sidekick there. Oh nice. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, and um probably a little left field, but Scott Snyder's Witches, I would also recommend anything Scott yeah, Snyder really. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I haven't seen that one or read that one. Yeah, I, I think you'd actually really like that, Emily. Um, cool. Yeah, so 
I feel like, uh, well, because just by sheer coincidence, because we've been talking about different portrayals of, of Satan and Lucifer and stuff, we've happened to pick two movies in which we kind of dumped on Keanu Reeves a lot for, with good reason. He doesn't give great performances in this or The Devil's Advocate, but I do really like Keanu Reeves. Oh and yeah, I, we love. Look, we love Keanu. Yeah, everyone I, loves Keanu. I think like there's two ways to go with watching Keanu Reeves stuff. Obviously, like you can go with his earlier like pre-Matrix stuff, like Bill and Ted, like Point Break, which is ridiculous but fun in a way that this movie isn't. Or you know, even Much Ado About Nothing, in which he, there's just a lot going on to enjoy in that film, even if maybe not all of it is great. What the other thing though is like, I love current Keanu Reeves. Obviously, like John Wick's a lot of fun, but like if you haven't played the game Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven, in which he appears as like it's... a major character who is sort of in your brain throughout the the thing. You know um, what's really funny about that? I was actually talking to some friends of mine about the the podcast, and I I made the same joke about about Keanu searching between Neo and John Wick and. My friends always just tell people about Johnny Silverhand. Yeah. He's great in that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's he's really fun and really sort of wild in that. I think he does a great job. I think I think this man has legitimately become a better actor over time. And like John Wick captures some of that, but also like I really love him getting thrown into a like a random comedic beat. Like his relatively short was... appearance and always be my maybe is like He's so good. And he's just playing Keanu Reeves in that movie. I thought he was wonderful in uh, Bill and Ted 3. Bill and oh, Ted yeah. Based the music. I haven't seen that one. I think it's wonderful. I think it's okay. a great addition to the series. Yeah. Face the music is really good. And I, I yeah. think does a nice job of sort of splitting the story between Bill and Ted and their daughters. Yeah. Um, he does a British accent in it. And uh, spoilers, he has not improved since Bram Stoker's Dracula. <laughs> Well, I mean, if it's the same British accent that he did in Bill and Ted, then I think that that's a different beast. And that's definitely like a thing that is enjoyable on its own. Oh, yeah, no. He, he, look, that is him slipping in. That is, he fits right back into the character and it's a pretty good and it's a really delightful time. So, you know what? I also recommend Bill and Ted face the music. Yeah, genuinely, all three Bill and Ted movies, like Uh, Bill S. Preston Esquire and Ted Theodore Logan are two of my favorite, like, characters and movies period mm-hmm. what, what was that jay <laughs> i was gonna i'm gonna ask no hardball recommendations for keanu reeves <laughs> i haven't I seen, seen it i know no, i have no. to this is really depressing to think about but we do have like an entire generation of young people that may not have watched the first matrix movie and that's worth taking a look at yeah, yeah so the first and fourth matrix movies i think are, are genuinely worth watching uh you probably have to watch some of three to figure out what the fuck's going on in four but like i i i really enjoyed matrix resurrections and i know ben did as well i haven't seen it yet so yeah i really like matrix resurrections i i've seen it i i think it's i love i love how it starts i'll put it that way i'm a bit more cynical when it comes to films but uh i I think the start of that film is amazing and i you know i I rewatched i i did rewatch the original matrix recently that's still a stand-up film, you know. If you watch it in Void without the other two movies, it's fantastic. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a movie that doesn't really need a sequel. Yeah, you know? exactly. 
the best sequel to the matrix was the um mtv music awards or mtv movie awards yes 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 architect yeah wanda sykes i, I actually the, still the... quote that to this day vis-a-vis <laughs> I think that was the same MTV movie awards that had the Gollum acceptance speech, which everyone go on YouTube and find that shit because it is fucking hilarious. It's very 2000s, but it's it's great. Yeah. Very 2000s episode. Yeah. And again, if you haven't seen Always Be My Maybe, he just plays Keanu Reeves in that. And he's fucking hilarious in in the small portion of it that he's in. And the movie is good beyond that as well. So I would recommend that. I believe that's a Netflix original film too. So Ooh. yeah, it's a lot of fun. Got Ali Wong in it as well. Nice. All right. So uh, that about wraps it up. Uh, Jay, do you want to let people know where they can find out more about uh, you and what you're doing online? Uh, uh, that's a great question. You know, I'm, I'm actually having a really hard time with the, the transition away from X. In the meantime, people can find me, you know, on X slash twitter cynical angst uh, that's at cynical angst and uh, uh that's all we got for now <laughs> more appropriate on the mix than ever being cynical angst yeah <laughs> yeah for real yeah. accurate uh ben what about you you can find me at bencon comics benconcomics.com blue sky instagram and if you still want to do the old twitters i'm at ben the con and uh, yeah, make sure to check out L. Campbell wins their weekend and Captain Laserhawk, a Blood Dragon remix. Congratulations on that, by the way. Ah, thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that was, I've seen that on Netflix and I was like, hey. <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited for the, the comic to come out. And uh, Emily, what about you? Megamoth.net, where you can find most of my things. And, you know, I wish I... We'll highlight Mega underscore Moth on Instagram and Mega Moth, Mega, yeah, regular Mega Moth on uh, on Patreon and Blue Sky. And uh, I am on Twitter and Tumblr at, I know I'm on Twitter and Instagram at jerome 58 and I'm on Tumblr and Blue Sky is Jeremy Whitley. You can find me in any of those places. You can also find me on my website at jeremywhitley.com. If you're listening to this when it comes out in December, the School for Extraterrestrial Girls Book 2 by myself and Jamie Noguchi just came out, and you can go pick it up right now at the store. And you can also, while you're there, pre-order The Cold Ever After, my book with uh, Megan Wong that's coming out in February, which is it's going to be a lot of fun, a little bit of horror, a little bit of romance, a little bit of noir in there. So it's a little bit of everything. But you can pre-order that because it comes out in February. And uh, as far as the podcast goes, you can, of course, find us on Patreon at Progressively Horrified. You can go to our website at progressivelyhorrified.transistor.fm or on Twitter at Prog Horror Pod. We'd love to hear from you. And speaking of loving to hear from you, we would love it if you'd rate and review this podcast wherever you're listening to it right now. Reviews help us get more listeners, which help us do more podcasts, which then you'll also get to listen to. So mutually beneficial. Thanks again to uh, our guest, Jay, for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's always a pleasure. Always great having you on, Jay. Absolutely. And uh, thanks, as always, to all of you for listening. And until next time, stay horrified.